Welcome to Podcast at Boatwright. I am Lucretia McCulley, Head of Scholarly Communications at Boatwright Library. Our faculty interview is with Dr. Kevin Pelletier, Associate Professor of English. He is the author of a new book, Apocalyptic Sentimentalism, Love and Fear in U.S. Antebellum Literature, published recently by the University of Georgia Press. The book provides powerful insights into the relationship between 19th century sentimentality, religious discourse, and anti-slavery reform. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And to start off our conversation, what inspired you to write on this particular topic? Well, the project began in graduate school. I was reading early American literature and um, noticing that references to apocalypse were appearing all the time. Um, and around that same time, I was, you know, watching films, watching television, watching documentaries and contemporary uh, films, um, which were all referencing, you know, the end of the world in some way. So I thought this was surprising and interesting, but I didn't know what to do with it uh, until I took a course on the Puritans. And they were obsessed with uh, the end of providential history. Um, and it was one of the things that really inspired, it was central to the Puritan migration to the New World. So um, when I came to Richmond, I began writing a book that was more about apocalyptic literature and culture broadly and generally conceived. It was 19th century, 20th century, um, and it just wasn't working. I mean, I wasn't, I couldn't find argumentative threads. I couldn't cohere the chapters. I, I didn't have the kind of energy a book needed. Um, and as I was doing this, I was teaching courses on 19th century literature and anti-slavery thinking and um, uh, started seeing those texts. They were also deeply preoccupied. The anti-slavery literature is deeply apocalyptic. Um, and what I, what I noticed was that many of these texts, uh, many of these anti-slavery texts were making moral claims for why slavery was such a pernicious institution and calling for greater love, greater compassion, greater sympathy, which this is the sentimentality of anti-slavery thinking. It comes out of the Scottish common sense. It comes out of the Second Great Awakening. Yet at the same time, these same books were threatening God's vengeance, God's wrath, apocalyptic destruction for the nation. So there was this weird tension. On one hand, they're thinking about love and compassion. On the other hand, they're arguing for um, religious retribution. And I knew when I saw that, that that was, that was the stuff for a book project because no one had really thought about, these things seem antagonistic, they seem oppositional. Love and vengeance are but they were part of the same tradition. And I needed to figure out like how to make sense of that and how to think about it as a tradition. So apocalyptic sentimentalism is that tradition. And the book is about charting the development of that tradition uh, through the 30 years that precede the Civil War. Well, thank you. Fascinating. Thanks. So how can the University of Richmond community use this book to address contemporary conflicts? Well, the you know, the book is about the intersections of literature and religion and politics. So it might not initially seem like it's the kind of book that might help students grapple with contemporary conflict. But the book is really about religious violence. It's really about religious terror. And that is our contemporary moment. 
Um, when I first entered graduate school, it was right around 9-11. So my entire graduate student graduate school training was under the specter of imminent terror, imminent religious violence and retribution. And so the um, you know what's interesting about the tradition that I look like that I look at uh, is that the abolitionists are are reformers that we revere. We would like to think if we lived in that period, we would be abolitionists as well. Um, and yet they're the ones using terror. They're the ones using threats of religious violence in really interesting ways to counteract the kinds of violence that enslavers were um, uh, perpetrating against the enslaved. So I think the book really does try to wrestle with what it means to live in a world in which religious traditions call for sympathy and compassion, but also endorse uh, retribution and vengeance. And so that might be useful for students who are we're trying to reckon with this today. Yes, definitely. And did students assist you with research and preparation of this book? They didn't assist me with research and preparation per se, but um, in 2012, I taught a senior seminar on apocalyptic literature and culture, and I had the best group of students I've ever taught, and I teach very good students. Um, and for the 14 weeks of that class, we really um, talked at length about the contemporary apocalyptic moment, what that looks like, how it's manifested, all of these different contexts from, from the arts to politics to culture. And the coda of the book, so the last chapter, grows directly out of that conversation. Um, I wouldn't have been able to uh, to write that coda without the contributions of my students who were always pushing back against what I was saying about the contemporary moment and always sharpening my thinking, always refining um, how I was thinking about the, the long influences of apocalyptic thinking from the Puritans through the 19th century into the 20th and 21st centuries. And it is as much their contribution as it is mine, um, uh, that chapter. So they're serving as kind of a critical audience. Yeah, yeah, an absolutely essential audience. And uh, students have, I mean, they always do. Um, there was something timely about this seminar because it was, I, I, I had the seminar in the fall of 2012. I wrote that coda in the spring. So coming right out of that seminar, I had I had so many ideas. Uh, and I, I credit them and the acknowledgments by name because they were so... Uh, essential to that to that thinking and that work. That's great. Thank you for sharing. And how would you envision other undergraduate students using the book for their study and research? Well, I'd like them to uh, I'd like them to understand the content. Um, I read the content seriously, and um, you know the way we talk about slavery is. Um, I mean, there are lots of ways to think about slavery in terms of, kind of the politics. Um, the economics of it, um, and these are all invaluable, but there's uh, this literary engagement with slavery from the antebellum period, and um, it's as important as other kinds of uh, confrontations with enslavement as a concept and an idea and a problem. Um, but I'd also want my students who, to recognize that I'm always asking them when they're thinking about writing an argument to find these tensions within texts and between texts, problems that uh, that require further analysis, further explanation, because they don't offer obvious answers. 
uh, and they get so frustrated with me because I, I won't allow them to simply state the obvious about a text. I'm demanding that they reveal something subtle but central to the way a text or a tradition of text operates. And that's exactly what my own book is. I mean, I noticed something um, in a selection of texts, you know, calls for love, threats of vengeance, but it took me a long time to figure out how to think about that um, that pairing and to provide an explanation of why that pairing is important, how it changes the way we think about this tradition, and how how those notions might inform the way we think about the contemporary moment. So it took years. Uh, but what I ask of my students, I also demand of myself so they can see that work put into practice. Um, so I try to practice what I preach. Very good. And our last question, how did library services support you in writing this book? The library was extremely important. Uh, first in helping me track down texts and answer questions, just the basic research stuff that even after all of these years, I still um, I can still get lost in the in the 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 mess of discourses that are out there, um, and so librarians were enormously helpful. Perhaps the most important thing happened a handful of years ago when the library purchased the American Periodical series, the online, which I know is extraordinarily expensive, but it is an incredible resource for the kinds of periodicals that I read and. Um, I could read them from the comfort of my office or my home. I didn't need to travel. I didn't need to um, accumulate expenses or, or um, I saved an enormous amount of time by being, being able to use the resources that are, um, that are right there um, available for, for me to use and for students to use. I'm always encouraging them to look at the online periodicals uh, because, they're, because all of the important work is digitized. Um, and I could, I mean, the book opens with a story of Paulus, who call, a figure who calls himself Paulus. He's, uh, he's a universalist thinker. He's thinking about, you know, what does it mean to think about God, the identity of God, who both is merciful but wrathful. And I, I wouldn't have found that without, um, without the online periodical series. And uh, so it's a for a small school, we have unbelievable resources, and I think all of the faculty, and especially the humanists, are, are grateful for that uh, because it makes the work um, that much easier, but also more efficient in a way that we, you know, we're able to complete projects in a, a less time and still make them as robust as they would be if we were traveling to archives all over the world, which we still do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, and thanks for your enthusiasm about, oh, about BitWright. Well, thank you, Dr. Pelletier, for your conversation. Apocalyptic Sentimentalism, Love and Fear in U.S. Antebellum Literature is available in Boatwright Library and the University Bookstore.